there, they say you're living good. Pretty lawns with fancy landscapes. She stares ahead with a blank gaze in her lovely neighborhood where the living is And good afternoon and welcome to Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, Mark Gertz, and you're listening to us on KMET AM and FM. Speaking about our song at the beginning of the show, if you live in a lovely neighborhood and you're thinking of living, leaving that lovely house or condo to your family, you're going to want to listen to today's show because we're going to bring in an expert to talk about Prop 19. What is Prop 19, I hear you say? Well, maybe you voted for it, or maybe you voted against it last November, but whether you voted, whichever way you voted, including not, it's law now, and you're going to really want to know how this is going to affect you and your family moving forward. So stay with us this afternoon. But one of the interesting things about um, radio is um, that it's been around for a really long time as electronic mediums go since the early uh, 1900s. And over the years, there've been a lot of changes to radio. It's had competition from television and then from cable. It's had competition from movies. It's definitely had competition from the internet to the extent that uh, radio stations, including this one, now broadcast online as well as over the airwaves. But one of the things about radio that has always been consistent is that it's been an amazing way to get a message into people's lives, no matter where they are. Because radio is the one medium that travels better than any other primarily because there's no visuals. Now, yes, I know those of you listening to us online are also seeing me at the same time, but well, let's face it. You really didn't come on here to see me. You came on here to hear me. So I, I want to open the show today by, by talking about radio and talking about your opportunity to utilize radio for the benefit of you and your business or your organization. Radio reaches a, a targeted audience for the most part. KMET is terrestrial, in addition to being streamed online. And that means that we have a big footprint in Orange County going all the way out to Palm Springs. And those might be people that you want to get a message to. Well, many stations are very expensive. And that's everybody's first question is, how expensive is it? to advertise on radio. I have an organization that's going to have a, a benefit or a, a fundraiser on July 4th. And I'd love to get a message out there, but we just can't afford expensive radio advertising. Well, guess what? You're in luck, all right? Because Reverse Your Thinking has inexpensive radio advertising. And what we can help you do is we can help you reach a targeted audience, uh, including one that's sitting in traffic now trying to get home in their cars. It is cost-effective, as I just mentioned. Radio advertising is very inexpensive. How inexpensive? Call 951-922-3532, and you leave a message, and we'll get back to you, and we'll tell you exactly how inexpensive it is, all right? Um, I'll put it to you this way. If you can afford, if you can afford to buy a cup of coffee every day, you can afford 
radio advertising on reverse your thinking. Radio advertising also offers the advantage of increased frequency. You know, unlike television commercials that may only air once or twice a day, radio advertising can air multiple times throughout the day. And this frequency helps, especially when you're working with a targeted audience to get that message out there and get it into their minds so that they can remember it. Radio advertising creates a personal connection between you and the listener. In addition to that, radio advertising is geographically targeted. Like I said, KMET has a big footprint in Orange County going all the way out to Palm Springs. Is that an audience that you want to get your message to? Well, the conclusion is radio advertising remains a relevant and effective advertising medium due to the advantages listed above that I have just explained to you. So consider radio advertising on reverse your thinking on KMET. You stay right there. If you're in traffic, I'm sorry, you have no choice, but keep the radio tuned to us. We'll be back in a couple of minutes, right? We'll take a breather. We'll see you then. And we're back on Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, Mark Gertz. As I mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to understand what's going to happen to your real estate when you're gone, you want to stay tuned to us today because we've got an expert explaining to you how things have changed dramatically in the last nine months. I want to talk to you about life coaches. Let's talk about reversing your thinking about life coaches. Most people I know don't have a life coach, but there are some people people that are in certain kinds of businesses, a lot of people who are attorneys and CPAs and certified financial planners that do have life coaches, and they find them indispensable. Now, a life coach is not the same as a financial advisor. A life coach is not the same as a therapist. A life coach is someone that's going to help you hold yourself accountable to getting the things done that you need to do. Life coaches can often tap into concerns you don't even realize you, you have, and they provide valuable tools and perspectives and support systems to prepare you for whatever phase of your life you're going through. It could be retirement, uh, and many people going into retirement are sort of at a loss of, of what they're going to do. I'm at a loss of what I'm going to do, all right? No, seriously, I'm going to become a radio host when I retire. No, I'm not. I'm doing that now. Anyway, life coaching sessions are action-oriented and focus on both the present and the future. Life coaches can help you discover, clarify, and refine retirement goals and objectives. They can help you encourage self-discovery or your values and priorities. What is it that you like to do when you were 10? What did you do when you were 10? What, would, what made you happy? I know what I did. I, I walked on a beach and collected rocks. I know that sounds boring, but it was real fascinating for a 10-year-old. They help you elicit strategies and solutions, and they also help you to hold yourself accountable. Now, it may sound like an indulgence. It may sound like a luxury to get yourself a life coach, but I don't think it is. And let me tell you why. Because the amount of time that you spend procrastinating is eating up valuable energy, money, and resources in your life. It's making it much more difficult for you to find what you want to do, your, how, to, how to organize your life and your happiness 
in such a way that you're accomplishing the things and you're actually pursuing those things that you really enjoy. I've got a friend, Dr. McGrail, and, uh, and he says, he's a, he's a hypnotherapist, and he says that the purpose of life is to be happy. Isn't that a wild concept? And that goes completely against everything many of us were taught. Many of us were taught that we needed to suffer and we needed to persevere. We weren't told we, that the purpose of life was to be happy, but a life coach can help you find that in your life. They can help you uh, pinpoint, no matter what period of your life you're in, they can help you pinpoint what it is that makes you happy. And once you know that, you can begin to find ways to invest time and energy in those things that not only create income, but that make you happy and improve the quality of your life moving forward. Again, unlike a therapist, they're action-oriented. It's not about just talking about your problems. It's about making a commitment to do something about it, to take action. Coaching is all about action. Now, suppose I've sold you on the concept and you say, hey, Mark, I'm willing to give life coaches a try. Where do I find the right life coach? Well, it depends on what you like. Life coaches should embody a certain set of qualities, accountability, strategic thinking, active listening, and, and goal setting. They should be someone that you're be very comfortable with and that you're comfortable opening up to while also challenging and motivating you. Most life coaches will offer a free consultation, which gives you the chance to interview them and identify the right fit. They can help you find the right match and, and you can collaborate with your coach to increase the possibility of successful outcomes. There are many resources online. Everything is online. It's the most amazing thing. I grew up in an environment where we didn't have search engines. And the amount of work that you had to go through to get the answers to questions required an enormous amount of motivation. But when I stop and think about it now, I just take out my phone and I Google something. For example, with life coaches, guess what? Somebody actually owns the website, lifecoach.com. Can you think of a better place to find a life coach, to find people to interview, a person to coach you? I can't think of a better one. There's another one called Numi, N-O-O-M-I-I. -I. That's another place you can find life coaches. And integrating a life coach into your comprehensive financial plan can transform retirement planning. Once you're financially and emotionally prepared, making the decision to retire is empowering. The end result is something we all aspire to, a more fulfilling and enjoyable life. Like Dr. McGrail said, happiness. That's what you want. And that's what a life coach can help you do. And the cost of a life coach actually is going to be cheap compared to bouncing around the room for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, trying to figure out who you are and what you want to do. Now you stay right there. All right. We've got a guest coming on after the next break. You don't want to miss what we're going to talk about. We'll be right back after this. This is Reverse Your Thinking.
we're back on Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, Mark Gertz. My guest today is Gregory Broge. Um, he is an expert on Proposition 19, which is going to be the meat of our conversation today. Greg began his practice at Latham and Watkins, and uh, he's now a partner at uh, Agilit Pali Ayup, Matteris, and Broge. How convenient. I understand. I get that. Um, uh, he's also been consistently recognized in Super Lawyers magazine as a Southern California rising star. He's also a frequent speaker and commentator. And I had the pleasure of, of hearing him speak on Proposition 19 and thought that it was incredibly relevant and important information that I wanted to bring to our listeners. Greg, thanks for making time to come on. Oh, no problem. Happy to be here. Great. Great, great, great. So um, let me ask you a question. What was it about uh, Proposition 19 that really galvanized you to dig so deeply into it and become such an expert in it? Uh, so what I do in my practice is, is state and local taxes, with property tax being the biggest. I'd say about on a day-to-day -day basis, 85% of what I do is property tax related, whether it be on the valuation side or the change of ownership side. But prior to Prop 19, you had Proposition 58, which was the old parent-child that came into enactment in 1986. And so when Prop 19 was uh, on the ballot and then subsequently passed, it major shift in how transfers between uh, properties between parents and children were going to be treated for property tax purposes so just okay in my area i had to i had to i was <laughs> got it well let's do this for our listeners because we're, we're talking to lay people all right sure. we're talking to mom and pop let's talk about what the law was before proposition 19 okay briefly how did it work then so real high level, we have Proposition 13, which came right. into effect in 78, which rolled all values back to March 1, 1975, and can only increase by at most 2% a year unless you have a change in ownership or new construction. Now, obviously, if property transfers from parent to child or child to parent, that is a change in ownership, right? That's new owners. Mm -hmm. and for the first eight years of Prop Proposition 13, there actually was no parent-child exclusion. And then in 1986, they enacted Prop 58, which is the old law that you just referenced. Under that old law, parents and children, it actually worked both ways, although usually it was going from parent to child, to transfer their principal residence, regardless of its value, to their children without a reassessment. And so even though there was a change in ownership, if that parent bought it in 1982 for 200 grand, and now that property's worth $12 million, but you know, its assessed value was only you know 350 grand because of the you know 2% increases. Right. They got the, the child got to keep that lower base year and pay taxes on the much lower value, even though there was a change in ownership. Mm, okay. In addition to the principal residence exclusion, parents could transfer. And this is per parent, $1 million of non-principal residence property. So, you know, vacation home, little strip mall, apartment building, duplex, whatever, non-principal residence property to their children. Now, the kicker was that $1 million was not $1 million of fair market value. It was $1 million of Prop 13 base year value. So if you had someone who owned something from a long time ago, they could likely transfer that without a reassessment. The whole point was the theory behind Prop 58 was 
well, we don't want to force kids to sell the family home or like, you know, the family apartment complex just because the parents died or gifted it to them. So they'll get to keep that base year value in place as opposed to being reassessed the fair market value. Okay, so so what I'm hearing, if I'm hearing you correctly, the way it was for almost 40 years, all right, was when you died, you your home could pass to your children. They wouldn't have to uh, occupy the property, but they were able to keep the original tax base. So if you had a $2 million house and your parents bought it 30 years ago, and the property taxes were $2,000 then, now all of a sudden you had a $2 million house where you were still only paying $2,000 a year property taxes. Right? Yeah, exactly. And and you didn't have to live in the house. Did not have to live in the house. You could rent it out. You could do whatever you want with it. Do anything you want. Whatever. Right. That was on the books for almost 40 years. Right. Just about. Just about. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, something changes. So can can you give us any insight into why after all of that time that that law which seemed would be very popular to people all of a sudden changed yeah um it wasn't some great uproar i mean there were some articles about some famous actors who acquired houses in like bel-air Holmby hills and were renting them out for ungodly sums but keeping the low base year that their parents had but the real background of it is it was the Law Proposition 19 was sponsored by the California Realtors Association. Okay. And they were behind prior kind of similar drafts, not one touching the parent child, but the other part of Prop 19, which allowed over 55 people to benefit and save taxes when they buy new homes. Um, So they had failed in the past. And so they wanted to make a proposition that was as kind of confusing as possible. It was kind of pro-tax. It was kind of anti-tax. They had some other stuff in there that they could be kind of deceptive with what it was for. Uh-huh. But the whole goal with the realtors was they like commissions. That's how they make money. And so with Prop 19, getting rid of the parent-child mostly, now all of a sudden that $2 million house you just mentioned, yeah, that your taxes, and you said it in your example, it was 2000 they got to keep. Well, now they're going to be paying like 24000 And uh-huh. not everyone can can pay that, right? The kids might get right. it and be like, boy, I can't pay $24,000 a year to keep this house. Right. So what will they do? They'll sell the house. So the, and what, when, when someone sells a house, what does a, a realtor get? They get a commission. And so the whole goal behind Prop 19 was to try to create more sales to get more commissions. So this wasn't some theoretical... We don't like it going to parent to child or anything like that, or some policy uh-huh. reason. This was the California Realtors Commission coming up with a proposition that um, got more commission. And they got lucky too, because on the same ballot, and this was the November 2020 ballot, so the presidential ballot, the Biden-Trump ballot, the there was Proposition 15, which was getting all non uh, residential property. And so that got all the property tax focus from all the industry and everything. And Prop 19 just kind of skated by, no one paid attention to it, and then passed by the skin of its teeth. Okay. So when you say it passed by the skin of its teeth, are you saying to me that a law that was on the books that that benefited consumers in the sense that they could pass on real property to their kids without property taxes going up, that that law wasn't voted out by the legislature? The legislature didn't do this. 
No, the legislature didn't do it. It was the, the, the people of California did it. <laughs> the voters. The voters did it. It was like uh, they got about 51% of the vote. So, so the people the people that we're talking to, they're, they're the ones that went to the polls and put this thing in effect. And you'd be shocked how many calls I got within the first three, four months. I still get today. Yeah. And I didn't realize what I was voting on. I voted yes. I never would have voted yes if I knew that this was what was happening. It's amazing how many people I've had call who scream and yell about Prop 19, but also voted yes on it. <laughs> That's interesting. My recollection was there was a pretty strong television campaign, wasn't there? Yeah. So if you watch TV at the time and uh, uh, on like network TV where you see commercials as opposed to like streaming, you would have seen a lot of things. Prop 19, vote for wildfire relief. And that, yes. that's really how they did it. They put some clarifying language, a little minor things as to property tax relief for wildfire victims. That was, you know, 1% of the proposition. The main thing was the parent child and the over 55 transfer. But they put that in there. In all honesty, in their defense, great marketing technique. Put a little bit in there and then just right. market it for wildfire. Because who doesn't want to vote to help wildfire relief, exactly. right? Exactly. And so that's how they kind of pitched it to the public. And that's why a lot of people, I get those calls. I thought it was just happened wildfire victims. I didn't realize I was, you know, screwing okay. my kids, you know. So, 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 so this was, this was in, in 2020. This was, yep. okay. And this is 2023. When, when did this new law go into effect? the mostly removal of the parent-child exclusion, it went into effect February 16th of 2021. 2021. Okay, so it's actually been over two years. Yeah, it's been in, in process and in play for over two years. Okay. All right. And simply, <laughs> I know that's tough. We're giving uh, our best shot. What is the law now? What, what does Proposition 19 say? Yeah. So remember, I gave you the two different parent trials that used to be in place for the principal residence and for all non-principal residence property. Right. So for the non-principal residence property, that, that I can be really simple. There is no more parent-child exclusion. Eliminated completely. Eliminated completely. So any property that transfers is going to be 100% reassessed the fair market value if it's not a principal so, residence. So, so vacation homes, investment property, uh, apartment houses, all of these other ways that people invest in real estate to either improve the quality of their lives or to create income for themselves, they can no longer transfer those, those properties to their family or leave those properties in a will to their families and maintain the tax base. Yeah, and even, you know, you're thinking about the kids there too, but think about the tenants in the apartment building, the tenants in the little strip mall. Guess yeah. what happens to their rent or their cam charges when all of a sudden the property taxes go up 20 times in one year? You know, I mean, it's, which could happen depending on how long the properties have been owned. Well, well you know, what's interesting about this is that according to statistics, 80% of the time nationwide, adult children do not keep the family home. Now, th the numbers in California have been much different because of Prop 13. But, but in most of the country, they keep the family home. As a matter of fact, what they do is they sell it and they keep the investment property. Right. Right. But now you're saying that um, not not only did they lose on the investment property, but now it's going to go up in an amount um, consistent with the the property tax uh, percentages in the state of California. Yeah, it's going to go up to whatever the fair market value of that property is and be taxed at, uh, you know, one point one, one point two percent of that value. OK, so so not only does it make it um, onerous to keep the family home but it makes it uh, difficult to keep 
any other property that the parents might have owned. It does. And then in terms of what happened to the family home, that's a little bit more complex. So it used the one thing that didn't change is it had to be the principal residence of the parents or child, depending on which way you're going. Again, we'll just use the parent to child. Yeah. That's the example. Right. That didn't change. It already had to be their principal. The transfer or it had to be their parent, their residence. The new thing is it now, there's two new things. And the child has to make it their principal residence within a year of the transfer. So that's new. It didn't use, the child didn't move in. Now they have to move in and make it their principal residence. If they don't move in with a year and make it their principal residence, there is no, within a year, there is okay. no parent-child. All right, well, fine. That doesn't sound too bad on the surface of it because- you know, at, at least you're saying you can keep the tax base if, if you move into the property and you make it your own. Um, potentially. Well, so, why, do you, why do you say potentially? There's one other thing. Okay. It used to be, if you qualified, you qualified. Now, if you move in, and let's use your example for, for the house, the $200,000 value house, $2,000 a year of taxes with the $2 million fair market value. Right. If you move in and make it your principal residence, now you can still get partially reassessed because instead of just a full exclusion, now you get to take your old base, your value. So the value your parents were paying on. Right. You add a million dollars to that. So in your example, 200,000 plus a million, that's 1.2 million. But mm -hmm. the fair market value was 2 million. So 2 million less 1.2 million is 800,000. You take that 800000 you add that on to your parents' base year value, and your new base year value is a million dollars. So now you're paying about $12,000 of taxes. So you're going from about you know, 2200 to about 12000 even okay. though you qualified for the parent-child exclusion. Okay. So basically what it sounds like is that for those people that, that have homes under a million dollars, all right, at or as, as long as they move into the property... You can much keep the tax base. You can, yes. But but for anybody, but for anybody that has property that's appreciated substantially, okay, they're gonna get whacked. Yes. And with California, depending on where you live, I mean, if you live in LA County, you know, there's not a lot of houses that are, you know, too low, you know, just the way let, it is. Let, let me ask you a question. I could because I grew up in New York. I grew up in New York City. I grew up in New Jersey. So oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so uh, are, are you familiar with, with property tax taxes in Jersey or in New York? I mean, enough. I'm not an expert by any means, but I know how they work. Yeah. Okay. Here's my recollection of it. My, my recollection of it was that in New York, when you bought a piece of property or you inherited a piece of property, the taxes on the property weren't based upon the sale. They were, they were based upon the, the what was it called? The, uh, the tax base? Yeah, they have a whole formula. I'm, I'm not super familiar, but they have a whole right. formula for residential where it's just based on the value. Right. It's not based on fair market yeah. value. It, it, it didn't mean that the taxes were going up when, it, when a piece of property got sold. But in California, they changed that. It was that way at one time. And, and now it's based upon what, what the, the fair market or the sale price is. Right. Right. California prior to Prop uh, 13 was a fair market value standard, but you just got reassessed every few years to fair market value. And right. that's why Prop 13 passed because you had grandmas getting taxed out of their home because mm -hmm. it wasn't their fault that the values were going through the roof. But that's what was happening in the in the mid 70s. And, you know, in a lot of other jurisdictions, especially for residential, it's like you get taxed on like a quarter of the fair market value. There's right. all different standards. Yeah. But here, you know, here you can get some really good benefits, right? You can 
you know, you can get taxed on something much lower than your fair market value. Okay. But if you have that transfer, that's when you get in trouble. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Uh, you're listening to Reverse Your Thinking. We'll be right back after this. back and you're listening to Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, uh, Mark Gertz. And our guest today is uh, Greg Broge, who's an expert on real estate inheritance and Prop 19. Um, before the break, Greg, it, it seemed to me from what you were describing that um, Prop 19 is pretty bleak. I mean, it, 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 sounds like, it sounds almost like the public got hoodwinked and they gave up an enormous amount of benefits for something basically horrid. Are there any positives to Prop 19? Yeah, I mean, in terms of hoodwinked, I, I do think a lot of people certainly did. And um, especially where a lot of people's wealth is tied up in real estate, and it's going to affect people passing it down. There was one positive, And again, that was the strategy of Prop 19. Of They wanted, you know, a tax negative and then a tax positive. And that way, you, you, you confuse all the Democrats and Republicans. They, no one knows how to vote on it. I, I always like to joke, it's the only thing they agreed on in, in November of 2020 is they both took no position on Prop 19. The one benefit is if you're 55 or older, this is something that almost everyone in California should use if they're moving um, uh, houses. So if you're 55 and older and you're uh, changing principal residences. So you're selling your current principal residence and going to buy a new principal residence. Right. It used to be that you were only allowed to transfer your Prop 13 base, your value, if you were downsizing. You were buying a property of equal or lesser value. It makes sense if you're 55, you don't want someone just to stay in a big house. They want to get to a smaller thing, but they, they're too right. worried about their taxes going through the roof. Right. Now you can transfer your base, your value, even if you buy a more expensive house. Now, you still might get partially reassessed, and it's a formula similar to the parent-child that I went over earlier. You know, almost every instance, unless you would have just bought a house and immediately sold and maybe values have gone down, but almost every instance, if you're 55 or older and you're going to sell your current house and buy a new house, you should be filing for the new Prop 19 over 55 base year value because in almost every instance, you're going to save some, if not a lot, of property taxes. Okay, so that that's interesting because you know I'm I'm a mortgage broker and and we we tend to lead in my agency with reverse mortgages for people age 55 and up and it and it sounds like this would almost be a benefit for them in terms of uh, uh, downsizing or 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 moving to another uh, another part of California closer to the kids or something like that. It's a huge benefit. And the old over 55 was limited. If you could move between moving between counties, you couldn't always transfer it depending on where you moved. The new law, you can move anywhere in California and you can always transfer downsizing to a new, uh, to a smaller, a less expensive house. It's all based on value. Right. Or moving to a bigger house and a more expensive house. You can still, even if you're buying a more expensive house, in almost every instance, still get some property tax benefit and property tax savings by using the pro part of the pro tax part of Prop 19, the benefit of Prop 19. Okay, so let me let me put these let me put these in in constructive terms. So if somebody, just for simplicity's sake, though, suppose somebody in Southern California has got a million dollar house. Yes. Right. And um, and and their and their kids live in. 
San Francisco area. Um, and they want to move up to be close to them. They're retired now. They want to sell their million dollar house and they're going to buy a million dollar condominium, all right, up there. So in other words, what you're saying is they can sell the million dollar million dollar house here. They can use a reverse mortgage to buy the, the new residence with, basically put down 500,000, leave 500,000 in the bank account, and the taxes that they were paying on the house in Southern California are going to be identical to the taxes they're paying now up in San Francisco. Yeah, and say they had owned it for a while and they were only paying, you know, $3,000 a year of taxes. Right. Well, had they done this in the past, their taxes would have gone up to $12,000 a year. But as you just described, use the reverse mortgage to go out and buy that new house. They now get to keep that $3,000 tax basis. And so that's a big savings. I mean, if you're saving like nine grand a year in taxes, sure, you know, that's a big deal. So in other words, where the potential benefit of that is where, you know, we have a lot of Californians that are moving out of the state into retirement because it's less expensive to live in, in like Arizona or right. in New Mexico. So this is a, this is a way that you can keep people living in California and they can move from, let's say Orange County, which is a very expensive part of California. And you can move up in, into Northern California above San Francisco, uh, above Napa, where it's much less expensive. Yes. And still keep your tax base. Yes, which you could not have done under the old law. Gotcha. Okay. So there, there's there's one small positive, all right? Um, yeah. I mean, it's a potential big positive, depending on who the borrower is. Depending on your age. I don't get the benefit of that. But you know, it's, at some point, yes. you get there, you get it. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay. All right. In in the journals that you read, in the course of the business that you do, is there any uh, groundswell to uh, uh, repeal? Yeah, there was. There was some uh, proposed, you know, to get another proposition on the ballot. That seemed to fail. Didn't get enough uh, signatures. There's been some, you know, some people at the legislature saying that, oh, we'll get it changed. I think that's all just blustering because Proposition 19 is a constitutional amendment. So the legislature cannot overturn it. You have to overturn it via a constitutional amendment. You just can't overturn it with a normal law. Gotcha. So it's going to be very, uh, the easiest way to get it overturned would be to put it back to the ballot. That would be the easiest way to get it overturned. Okay. Well, right now it is the law. Let's, so let's talk about it in the present. It, it would seem to me that, that a big issue here has to do with uh, assessors, okay? And, and how they're going to uh, interpret the law, how they're going to, you know, value a, a piece of property for a change in this. Um, I remember uh, you spoke once about unreasonable assessors. And maybe you could explain to us what, what you mean by that and uh, and maybe give us an example. Yeah. So in the old parent-child, like if, you, if the property transferred um, to your, you know, your kid, no one really cared what the assessor thought the value of the property was because it was just an automatic exclusion, right? Right. Now, with that, you know, that only you get a million dollars above your, um, your trying to base your value. Well, what happens when, in your example, you know, you have a $200,000 base year, but it's a $2 million house, right? So now it gets re it's going to get reassessed. But what happens if the assessor come back and says, well, we don't think it's $2 million. We think it's worth $2.5 million. Well, then all of a sudden you're staring down the barrel of even more taxes. In that case, like $5,500, $6,000 more, depending on your tax rate, taxes just because the assessor put a really high number on it. And look, you don't have a sales price here. So it's not like when a, a parent dies and you inherit it or a parent gifts it, that there's some sales price where there's a purchase price presumption as to the value of that property. Here, the assessors can just go willy-nilly. And I'll tell you this, when they don't have a purchase price, they often miss 
but they don't often miss low. They usually miss high. And then all of a sudden, you then would need to file an appeal and fight that value because one, you're you're worse off because of the new Prop 19 rule, but you're even right. doubly worse off because the assessor thinks it's worth so much more than what you think it really is worth. In the course of your work, have you been involved in, in some of these situations and disputes with assessors? Yeah, we do it all the time and we do it. I represent some of the biggest properties in California uh, in terms of value all the way down to you know single family residences and apartment buildings and little strip malls and stuff. We run the gamut and it's it's amazing. You might get them really reasonable on some huge sports stadium and unreasonable on a house or vice versa. It's all over the place, depending on who you get assigned to and what county you're in. Do, do you have any do you have any stories about that that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Stay right here. All right. I want to keep you here. We have to take a break. We'll be right back on Reverse Your Thinking. And we're back. You're listening to Reverse Your Thinking. My guest today is Greg Broge, and he's been enlightening us on Prop 19. Uh, before the break, we uh, we had sort of segued talking about um, assessors uh, and, and how that impacts uh, homeowners today, because for the first time in almost 40 years, when you pass on property to your kids, it it many times it now has to be reassessed where that was never the case. Greg, you, you said that you had some cases that you've worked on. Can you share some of that with us? Yeah, I mean, so on the value side of our practice, which is, you know, challenging, someone gets um, reassessed, either as, either, as, either as of a change of ownership or just their normal assessment role. And we think the fair market value is less than that. But we have uh, what we call value appeals, where you appeal it to the assessment appeals board which mm -hmm. is separate from the assessor. The assessor is your opponent there and you argue about values. And one of my great examples is I'm always trying to tell the assessor, look, you're high. We're just being reasonable. As long as you come in the range of reasonableness, we don't care. We just can't be outside that. But a lot of times they just don't listen. And this is actually on a, on a house. It was a more higher high-end house, but on a house. And um, it, it had had a change in ownership because of a death. But there, this was prior to Prop 19, but um, it wasn't to a child. They, they didn't have any children. So it went to a uh, nephew, I think. And so the property was 100% reassessed. Right. And they reassessed it. At, and these aren't the exact numbers, but they reassessed it at like 20 million. And we thought it was worth like 11 million. And we're like, guys, that's insane, blah, 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 blah. And we're all set to go to hearing. And then the assessor has some personal issue. So the hearing gets bumped and it gets bumped out like 10 months. Well, in between that hearing date and the 10 months, in a wildly increasing real estate market. So the mar market was going up. This was not a time of going down. This was a time of going up. Right. Property ended up selling and it sold for $11.4 million. Oh. So of course we go to the hearing and the test, the assessor comes in with their tail between their legs and we agree to an $11 million value as of the, the date of death was a couple of years prior, probably high. And all honesty, the bank is showing on what it sold for, but right. that's what we were arguing at the time. But it's just a good example of when they're not bound by a purchase price, they were using this one sale to support their value that was like designer home, famous architect, the nicest stuff ever. And they, yeah. it, nothing else sold for that value. And, you know, we had found out it was kind of a one of those deals where a celebrity sold it to like a manager. And I think they overpaid just to maybe get the business type of thing. Right. And they wouldn't they wouldn't listen. They said we reasonable, blah, blah, blah. And only this 
delay because of the assessor, they actually right. it was actually proven that we were right completely. And you know, that stuff comes up, that stuff comes up a lot. They, I mean, it's uh -huh. amazing how much they overshoot in a lot of instances. You know, you know, it's it's funny because we're we're starting to encounter some some of this also in the mortgage market. I've had I've had two appraisals recently on properties where there were two appraisals required because the properties were worth more than two million dollars. Uh -huh. And on one of them, we had a discrepancy of 21% between the two appraisals. And on the other, we had a, we had a discrepancy of thirty five percent, and 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 yeah, and and ten percent is usually you know uh, within within bounds. So we're starting to see some some crazy stuff there too. You mentioned something about unknowledgeable assessors, unknowledgeable assessors, and 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 appeal. How does that play into this? Yeah, it's always tough because they, you know, especially when you're dealing with like special purpose properties. Um, we had. Um, a possessory interest, which I won't bore you with what that is, but it's it's the right to use right away is to provide certain services. Right. And you know, I mean, we our opinions of the value were hundreds of millions of dollars off. I mean, this wasn't even we weren't even same range, right? Mm -hmm. One of the problems was is they they just didn't understand it, they didn't know it. But instead of listening to the industry people, the client who lives this stuff every day. And then trying to come to it, they didn't want to admit that. So they just kind of, you know, were like an ostrich. They stuck their hand, head in the sand, didn't listen. And, you know, unfortunately, what for the client, because they didn't listen, we had to go to hearing. They had the cost and expense of the hearing. Unfortunately, for the assessor, they got crushed at the hearing. And actually, the results from the hearing were much less than any results that we would have potentially settled at. Uh -huh. um, so they actually ended up costing the county money because they refuse to listen and become informed assessors as opposed to just willy-nilly picking numbers out of the air. How, how do assessors in California get their jobs? Uh, they apply through it through the various county agencies. And then when they go there, they have like a year of training in appraisal practice. It's not the most in-depth. There's a big brain drain right now. There's been a lot of retirements and there was a hiring freeze for years. So they, they kind of they have a lot of lower level and higher level, but they don't have that middle level. So you get a lot of, there's not, there's, there's missing knowledge there at some points. Got it. So it's not a situation of, of like um, uh, appointments or, or uh, uh, it's not politics. It's, it's just um, right now the, the, the assessor pool is uh, a little thin. Yeah. So the, the assessor is, is voted on by the public, but the people who work at the assessor's office, it's, it's, it's thin is a good way uh -huh. Okay. Have you have you had one minute? Have have you had any uh, clients coming in about Prop 19 issues? Uh, yeah, we get calls. I I had three calls this morning for people. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, hold that thought because we're we're getting close to the end of the show. I want to make sure that um, our listeners can get a hold of you if they've got a Prop 19 issue um, and and they need you know good legal advice. What's the best way for someone to contact you, Greg? Yeah, sure. It's either either give me a call. My number is 818-553-1300. Or you can email me at greg, G-R-E-G, at A-P-A-TaxLaw.com. That's Apple, Paul, Apple, T-A-X-L-A-W.com. And give us that phone number one more time. Sure. 818-553-1300. Terrific. You know, I'm I'm so glad that that we brought you on the show. You, I mean, because I've learned, you've definitely clarified some things for me. So I have to believe that 
people in our audience have, have gotten some uh, uh, knowledge out of this as well. You're listening to Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, Mark Gertz. We've been talking to Greg, Greg Broge. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you're in your cars headed home in traffic, stay tuned right here. There's a great show coming up after it. And we'll see you next week. Where the living is good.